the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. As a constitutional law attorney, former senior legal advisor and personal counsel to President Donald J. Trump, Jenna Ellis believes in the rule of law and the importance of integrity in our elections. And she's ready to tackle the big cultural and legal issues facing America. This is the Jenna Ellis Show. Here is your host, Jenna Ellis. Hey, everyone. I'm Jenna Ellis. This is another episode of The Jenna Ellis Show. And I want to start off by talking about one of my friends who is a great patriot. You all know and love him as much as I do. Mike Lindell, who has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life and also just stand up boldly for truth. He has been canceled out of so many uh, department storefronts, and we want to continue to help support him. And he has not actually been canceled because of patriots and concerned citizens like you. So go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square and use the promo code Jenna. So excited that Mike Lindell is a sponsor of this program. And I love that, you know, I have my own promo code, so you guys should use it because I think it's awesome. So there you'll not only find uh, this amazing offer, but also discounts when you use the promo code Jenna, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, MyPillow slippers. You guys, I have a pair. They're totally awesome. So go to MyPillow.com, use the promo code Jenna. I am coming to you live today from the American Association for Christian Counseling Waymaker Conference, which is a great gathering of uh, pastors, Christian leaders, um, obviously biblical counselors. My very, very good friend, Dr. Tim Clinton, is the president of AACC, and I'm here at his invitation. Um, I worked with him alongside uh, Dr. James Dobson when I was the policy director there, and um, just really love and appreciate um, all of his focus on uh, mental health issues, on Christian counseling, on making sure that um, you know Christians get the support from the church and from biblical counseling um, that's truly based on uh, the biblical worldview. And so um, so today, I am very blessed to have my good friend, Ryan Helfenbein, uh, here with me in our very, very non-appropriate COVID studio, because we're sitting here, like, sharing a microphone. I concur. Yeah. So, um, so Ryan is here. And um, for those of you who don't know Ryan, he is the executive director of the Standing for Freedom Center at Liberty University, also a vice president there, and just... Um, honestly, like my, my big brother, I mean, I just love and respect him so much. We have been through, it's totally true. Um, we have been through so much together, so many, uh, random adventures, uh, going around the country, um, trying to champion liberty in, um, in, in the, in a culture that really is trying to excise God out of it. Um, so, so Ryan, talk a little bit about the Standing for Freedom Center, um, the mission and focus at Liberty, um, before we kind of dive into here to, to what we're going to talk about. Yeah, Jenna, thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm super thrilled. I love this. And by the way, this conference is, is amazing because of biblical integration into something that is really important, which is mental health. The, the Standing for Freedom Center is doing exactly that, biblical integration, biblical worldview, how we think about 
uh, cultural engagement, political engagement, social, all of it. Many of the students we graduate from Liberty University are going to go on to be doctors and lawyers and engineers and nurses. They have to think biblically about how they're going to approach not only work and life, but even the public square. And so the Standing for Freedom Center exists to promote life, liberty, and truth to ensure that the foundations of freedom exist for the next generation. That's what we're about. Um, so I, I'm thrilled. I'm excited to be uh, an ambassador for what we're doing, not only at the Standing for Freedom Center, but Liberty University as well. The, the supremacy needs to be uh, scriptural. Uh, it needs to be kingdom-focused. It needs to be biblically-driven, word-driven ministry. That's that's my approach. Uh, so whenever we talk about different things, we always want to take it back to, is that actually in the Bible? Does the Bible actually speak to religious liberty issues? Does the Bible speak to COVID lockdowns and things like that? And say, well, yes, it does. There's applications in Scripture. And so we want to take Christians back to that focus. Yeah, and th- that's so well said, Ryan, because, um, you know, so often I think that uh, that a lot of Christians who are kind of nominal mm-hmm. have this viewpoint that the Bible only talks about salvation, period, yeah. and then how we live our lives. Um, you know, what does the Bible as this, you know, ancient writing have to do with today? And they fail to recognize that the Bible um, contains everything that we, like, you know, like Paul wrote uh, in, in in, uh, I think it's Second Timothy that says, mm-hmm. you know, all scripture is given by inspiration of God mm-hmm. and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, mm-hmm. that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Mm-hmm. That's um, the application of scripture is why we have to study uh, the Bible fully and why, you know, on this show, um, especially, I mean, I don't want to just talk about politics as a top level. We have to see that the the foundation of the Bible, of the Christian worldview on why we we exist, um, who we are as human beings made in the image of God, how we interact with every decision that we make in life, our careers, um, everything that we do in our families, in our ministries, um, that that has to be biblically and truth-driven. And, and with that, you know, one other thing you said, Ryan— uh, so I went, went in my uh, bachelor's degree and my undergrad was actually in journalism. And as part of that, I went to the World Journalism Institute, um, our friends at World Magazine, uh, and, you know, love them, support them. And I actually learned more in that three weeks about media than I did throughout uh, the rest of my college experience. Not surprising because I didn't go to Liberty, guys. That's that's the key <laughs> in that one. But um, but one of my professors said this so well uh, that we are not called regardless of, you know, whether you're the doctor, lawyer, whatever, uh, you're going to Liberty University, hopefully to train to be in your vocation. You have to be a Christian first. And so for me in my life, what I have learned as a lawyer, as an advocate, as, um, you know, media now personality, um, all of the things that I do, I have to be a Christian first. And so how do I be a Christian lawyer, a Christian media person, a Christian uh, political uh, integrated member of civil society, all of those things. So we have to go back to the root Christian worldview. And, you know, you have such a great focus, Ryan, on teaching young people and encouraging pastors to be politically engaged because that's part of and essential to our faith. Yeah. That's right. You know, it's funny. I, amen to everything you just said. I want to. I want to touch on a couple of things, and this vocation, vocational calling that all Christians have. I think one of the things when I grew up, 
you know, oftentimes, not on purpose, I don't think that there was any malicious intent, but oftentimes you kind of hear in the church that some of you may be called into full-time ministry. Others of you may be called into, and then you say something else. And there's this kind of sacred-secular divide that is created, this bifurcation where, okay, over here, you're going to be doing God's work, and then over here, you're just going to be doing secular work. You're just going to be uh, making a bunch of money, and hopefully God can convert that into some way useful that he can actually, uh, you, maybe you can just tithe on that money and give it to the church, and then, and then God can do his work mm-hmm. with it. No, no, no. All of those callings are sacred as unto the uh, as unto the Lord. He has called you. He has equipped you. He has gifted you. And so, men and women have all been called into God's service. So, all work is sacred. Uh, God cares about what you're doing as a nurse. He cares about what you're doing as a doctor, a lawyer. Uh, he cares about what you're doing if you're pouring concrete, if you're if you're a carpenter and, and you're, you build houses or whatever, or you clean out septic tanks uh, and toilets. I'll tell you, Jenna, in my journey, I have had so many different jobs when I was going through seminary uh, to provide for my family, to make sure that I was not indebted to anyone uh, as I was working through. And so I learned vocationally how to do these things One thing I'll add to it, if it's Christian, this is something Dr. Falwell, founder of Liberty University, used to say all the time. If it's Christian, it ought to be better. Mm. So uh, we're not only to be convictional uh, and courageous and champion truth, but we need to be competent in what we're doing. Uh, You know, I I love when you walk into a Chick-fil-A how clean it is. I love I love how everything, everything is about service and hospitality and my pleasure. I'm happy to happy to serve you. If it's Christian, it ought to be better. And so we want to equip people and train people how to to not only serve the Lord but to do so as leaders. Absolutely. And you talked, Ryan, about this secular sacred divide. And um, actually, another one of my professors who I got to know at the World Journalism Institute was Nancy Piercy. Oh, we love Nancy. And we, we absolutely adore her. And her her work in the area of apologetics and uh, destroying and dismantling this myth of the secular sacred divide, she wrote a great book um, back in, it was probably about 2005, called Total Truth. Love and it. she is a Francis Schaeffer scholar. She actually uh, was an atheist mm-hmm. that went to Labrie, if you're aware of Francis Schaeffer, and uh, his work in apologetics, wrote The Christian Manifesto, a uh, great, great book. And she went there just to learn more about the Christian worldview. She was kind of doing a survey of religions and actually got converted to Christianity because she said this is the only one that internally, rationally makes sense mm-hmm. and isn't in conflict uh, with itself. Because because if you follow any other line of reasoning in any other worldview, whether it's specifically religious-based or even if it's atheist and secular, eventually you get to a tension point with reality. Mm. Uh, And you see that, for example, in all of these uh, different leftist mentalities where yeah. they say, you know, Education. we'll trust, yeah, Education. in CRT, you know, yeah. so, uh, so, uh, you know, or trust the science or a lot of these other things, uh, or, you know, we can have gender fluidity. Well, no, that doesn't mm-hmm. actually rationally uh, comport with reality. And yeah. we all are presented to reality. We have to explain that reality. Mm-hmm. And this is where, you know, when we talk about the basis of government, and we talk about how government is obligated to preserve and protect our rights that are God-given. Mm. We have limited powers of government because government can't simply legislate 
reality. And that's where if you take any other premise for government than the Christian biblical worldview, eventually whatever form of government it is, whether it's, uh, it's, it's a king or whether it's democracy, it's anarchy, a constitutional republic like what we have, if it is man-driven right. and it's just based on man's ideas and a, an ethic that is not biblically derived, then eventually the legislator and the enforcer and the judiciary will all be confronted with reality. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're at as a country, I think, is mm-hmm. where we have our legislators and obviously our current sitting installed president uh, that is confronting reality. And we're seeing how inconsistent that is with things like CRT, with things like the LGBT agenda, with things mm-hmm. like vaccine mandates that don't make sense with the science. And the legislature and the executive, actually, by and large, the executive are trying to force their own reality and we're being confronted with something that we just viscerally know is not rational. Mm-hmm. So, so Ryan, from kind of a 30,000 foot perspective, um, where do you think the, the crux of where the church needs to step in mm-hmm. to try to combat these ideas and, and bring us back into reality? Wow. Okay. There's a lot there. I, I want to, yes. Okay. So the first thing I just want to go back to something you know, this thing today about trying to ins- reinsert the Bible into every topic of life really goes all the way back 200 years ago when a bunch of Enlightenment philosophers tried to script, uh, strip Scripture away, the Bible away, from speaking about everyday life. And so the first thing was questioning the Word of God and, and uh, uh, Frederick Schleiermacher and the, all these others, and they, they basically did away with the Bible is the sole authority. Then it became man and everything else. And so we lost virtue and morality. And uh, we, we took uh, basically the Bible out of education, out of the university system first, then out of the elementary school system and everything else. This was in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. And so now you have a people who have no moral rationalization. I'll bring this close, closer to home. John Adams, he said, the Constitution was written for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the governance of any other. So we must recognize that what we have enshrined in our, in our sacred documents here as a country, as a, I say sacred, I mean that in a, a national term, but in, in the Constitution Declaration, is a fundamental understanding that was Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you take that away and people no longer have any moral basis, theological basis first, then moral basis, they can't make sense of anything. What is the church to be doing in this time? Your, your question is so germane. This is something that we have to deal with. We, first of all, cannot live by the lies of the left. I think one of the things that pastors have a responsibility to do is to not parrot from their own pulpits talking points from Anthony Fauci. Hmm. We need to be truth tellers. One of the things that Martin Luther and John Calvin, they believed in truth and not just, oh, well, that's just theological truth and it's in this category. I have nothing to speak about political matters, minor squabbles, what the nations are doing as they rage. No, no. Pastors need to have a, a some kind of a grip or handling, not only of rightly dividing the word of truth, as scripture commands us, uh, but also um, understanding that if you're being told a lie, you don't repeat the lies of Nero. Uh, if, if Nero is lying to the citizenry, 
about who burned Rome down, you don't lie about Nero. We need to be speaking up in a convictional way uh, when the Nazis took over Europe. How many Lutherans or Catholics could have stood up from their pulpits and opposed the Nazi party? They had much more power to do so, but they didn't do it. They instead chose to be silent for fear, political fear. So we can't cower down in this moment. We have to speak up against totalitarianism and tyranny. Uh, if it comes to the safetyism that the state tries to promote, and let's be clear, people, we need to love our neighbor. We need to keep our neighbor safe. Of course we do. But not in the way that the state is, is uh, trying to mandate, not in a way that uh, quite honestly goes against medical science and everything we've ever known about the history of influenza, uh, which clearly COVID uh, uh, goes along lines with, uh, flu and everything else. So we need, to, we need to understand that there's a great deal of fear that's being promoted. We cannot parrot that promotion of fear in our churches. Mm. Uh, so we've got to be courageous. Absolutely. And, you know, this goes back to, uh, to a conversation actually you and I were having as we, as we just got into uh, the conference. And in talking about theology being the study of God, the knowledge of God, there is a an unfortunate aspect of a lot of churches today that thrive on emotionalism, mm -hmm. that then when they're so feelings-based, it's so easy then to convert that emotion mm -hmm. into fear because you're so used to going with the prevalent emotion of the day. And without the intellectual knowledge mm -hmm. of rightly dividing the Word of God, as, as you were just saying that Scripture commands us to do, mm -hmm. when we don't have an intimate knowledge of the person of God who is the personification of truth, mm -hmm. then we won't be able to apply objective truth to our reality. And, you know, feelings, of course, are, are God-given. Um, feelings are useful. And, you know, my mom actually always loves to say, and I think this is so profound, that emotion is simply evidences what we're thinking about a subject. And emotion can be correct. So, for example, the Bible says there is righteous anger. You know, anger is not always wrong. Um, but it has to be derived from truth and founded in truth. And so emotion reveals what we're thinking. So for all of these leftists that are living in fear, mm. they're not thinking correctly. And so for the Christian, as we navigate uh, really how – uh, to how now shall we live, to borrow, um, you know, the phrase from Schaefer and uh, yeah. Chuck Colson, you know, we're trying to navigate how should we live through the COVID times and, and the tyranny. We have to use the emotion simply to evidence how are we thinking, but have the intellectual capacity to truly focus on theology, growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and who he is as a person so that we are so absorbed in truth mm. that we then our feelings are a result of being grounded in truth rather than grounded in non-truth yeah absolutely I, i'm gonna th this this is a huge point here we have a gnostic tendency what is what do i mean by gnostic this old term first century where the there were the, there was a cultic movement this is outside of the apostles where people were questioning some of the tenets of the gospel. And one of those was whether Jesus had a physical form, a physical presence. Did he come back 
you know, um, when he when he rose from the dead, the resurrection was a physical, bodily resurrection. That's essential. That's an essential doctrine of the church. But the Gnostics were teaching something else. They're te- teaching a hidden and secret knowledge, and they were also teaching about all things that are flesh and material are bad. And so it led to this bifurcation again, kind of like the sacred secular divide between um, knowledge, this kind of knowledge that, that uh, you know, is informational, and then this kind of spiritual reality. And so what you see today is a Gnostic tendency repeating itself in the modern church uh, with the kind of feelings-based, feelings-driven ministries. A lot of these social justice churches, I'm just going to call it out for what it is, is a kind of mo- modern version of Gnosticism. You don't know because you haven't experienced. You can't sit, speak truth into this situation because you haven't walked in these shoes. The reality is, is that Scripture has judged and heaven has judged a lot of things, these things already. And wherever the, speak, uh, the, the Scripture speaks to, whatever it speaks to, we must also speak to. And whatever, wherever the Scripture is silent, we must also be silent. And there's a, there's a great deal that's going on right now. That, that the word of God is spoken to, but this this particular this emotion, this fear, this baseness of um, of our human nature, our feelings are not always valid. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes people f- have feelings of anxiety, uh, of depression, uh, of a feeling of worthlessness that God does not value them, that uh, that nobody cares for them or cares about them. Um, scripture uh, again repeats a uh, common uh, over and over again. You look in the scripture, um, we're made in the image of God, just as God cares for the lily of the fields. Uh, you know, his eye is on the sparrow. He cares that much more for you. How much more does he care for his children? Um, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. And so back to your point, um, we have to worship God not only with all of our heart, but also with all of our mind. And so we have to discipline and train our minds to understand, is this truth really from Scripture? Because the lies of the enemy, the lies of the enemy that enter in, is has God said? Did he really say that? Oh, no, 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 that's not something that the Lord has promised. Well, the only way we can fortify ourselves in our hearts is actually to fortify our minds in Scripture. So we need to be uh, studied. We need to be well-versed. We need to understand the propositional truths, not just the personal experiences, but the propositional truths, and prepare ourselves because lies have been multiplied today like nothing we have ever seen before, uh, not only with just the, the, the news and the information, news cycles and things like that, but with social media and repeating those lies. So we've got to get away from this kind of... Um, hyped up, amped up, emotional, kind of spiritual experience, and understand that our faith is reasonable, it is rational, that God always speaks truth when he speaks. Amen to that. And we have to make sure as Christians that we are fully invested in seeking truth, and we are not borrowing from the cultural lies, because um, even, you know, as you were speaking and, and saying, you know, these are certain things that uh, that the secular left is doing and they're propagating all of these, uh, you know, misinformation uh, sort of information. And, you know, you see all of these lies coming from the secular left. It's so problematic when pastors yeah. 
embrace that and they say, you know, this is the wind of doctrine today and we're going to go along with this because that's what our leaders, quote unquote, are telling us. Well, the leaders of the church, the head of the church is Jesus Christ, not the civil government. It's not, you know, the press secretary or Dr. Fauci or whoever. It's not Christianity today. Right. Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, we, we talk a lot about how even things that are that are Christian in title, we still have to be discerning and saying, are they expositing true Christian principles in their analysis or are they borrowing from a secular philosophy and just labeling this Christian? So there are a lot of things that the the Christian, I mean, discernment, judgment Mm -hmm. is a good thing. Discretion, uh, discrimination even. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's actually not a negative term. Uh, The left likes to use, you know, you can't discriminate. Well, it used to be a good thing to yeah. say, I have discriminating taste yes. or I'm discriminating between good versus evil. It's only unlawful discrimination or things that are not uh, that, that you're discriminating and you're treating someone differently based on a characteristic that you shouldn't. They took all our good words, Jenna. They, they really did. <laughs> they did. I know. And so yeah. so but but that's and that's raises another point that they harness these terms and manipulate them into non-reality. Mm-hmm. So we have to continue speaking truth. We have to make sure that we have discernment as Christians and that we call out the lies because the truth, as you said uh, before about, um, you know, people who have anxiety and fear and uh, the problems, you know, with self-image, all that, it gets into the mental health situation. The reason that, that biblical counselors and pastors are so incredibly important is because you have to go back to the Christian worldview that is the only view that says every human being, regardless of any difference and characteristics, um, are equal in dignity and worth inherently. Mm -hmm. There is no other viewpoint that has the perspective on humanity that is truthful and and genuinely gets to equality. I mean, the left loves to use that term, right? Mm -hmm. They've harnessed equality and they've manipulated it into equity. Mm -hmm. But... There is no other worldview besides the fact and the truth that we are all made in the image of God that genuinely provides for equality on the basis of inherent dignity. And so so this is where, you know, you can start seeing the political topics of the day when you talk about why we're pro-life, why um, you know, that we are for civil rights, for example, why we are for freedom and liberty isn't just from a, um, you know, stay off my, get off my lawn kind mm-hmm. of a perspective or an arrogance. It should be grounded in, well, what does freedom mean? Mm-hmm. What does liberty mean? Well, it's not licentiousness. It's not a license to just do whatever I feel like as long as there's no harm. I mean, you know, the non-aggression principle is internally inconsistent because then you start have to define what aggression means. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's about coming back to the genuine freedom and liberty of Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's talked about in scripture. So, you know, and, and the Standing for Freedom Center, I think, is very aptly named because freedom is so essential. And in the modern era of this manipulation of reality that, that we're presented to right now, uh, how can... Christians best stand for freedom without being 
uh, the arrogant, rebellious sort of, um, I'm just going to define freedom however I want because Mm. the secular culture is doing the same thing. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, great question. One of the things we need to understand is that Christians are always under authority. Uh, we have always been under authority. So we're not proposing, and we never have, this this, this idea of uh, rebellion against any kind of authority. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is we must honor God. We must obey his authority and not tyrants. I mean, this goes back, this is 500 years of Protestant Western tradition. If, if you want to know where evangelical really evangelicalism really comes from, uh, you know, it was 1517, October 31st, when a when a uh, German monk, an Augustinian Catholic, uh, nailed a 95 thesis up to the church gate, castle gates of, or rather, the castle gates of Wittenberg, uh, in order to protest. Right, and so that's where Protestantism comes from. And out of that, we also we not only have a church tradition, but a political tradition. Uh, Protestants are the ones who founded this nation. And so they understand that authority, the only ultimate legitimate authority is God. And so it was a righteous appeal when they were, um, you know, signing their declaration, a formal declaration of independence through a provisional government, declaring uh, publicly that they were going to rebel against the crown. They did so making their appeal to a higher authority, and that yes. is God. And so yes. it's saying, look, we believe in governance. We believe in a throne. We believe in a court. And the highest court is not here. It's in heaven. And so I think one of the things that uh, should characterize Christians is understanding that even in this present moment, we are not calling ev- all Christians to stick a finger in everyone's eye and um, to start burning down businesses and, uh, that's what the left did yeah, all last right. summer. That's not what we're doing. That is a Darwinian <laughs> yeah. vision of reality, right? It's the deconstructionists who only know how to tear things apart. We are constructionists. We actually believe in building society, not tearing it down. So our vision of freedom is freedom that leads to human flourishing. Freedom that starts first not with material possessions and, and prosperity, but the inherent value and dignity of being created in the image of God. We know that, that uh, far greater uh, than uh, prosperity, uh, far greater than being rich or wealthy, this is not what the founders were seeking. They all lost what? Their, their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor, right? Okay? They put all of that on the line. They all became poorer poor. They benefited mm-hmm. with trade with uh, with England. They gave all of that up. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they wanted freedom. So Christians... Like the apostles. That's right. That's right. And so that's what, that is what has happened, uh, um, you know, from the beginning. What we have to remember is there is a... We're tied into a long and rich history as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We must stand for truth. We must stand up. That's the loving thing to do, by the way. If I saw violence being committed against my neighbor, you're supposed to stand in the way of, of somebody that would come like a wolf that would come against the sheep and attack them. You're supposed to stand in the way uh, of an enemy that would, would, would seek to, to kill your neighbor or commit harm to them. It's the same way with tyranny and when, mm-hmm. and when it comes to freedom as well. And I love, Ryan, that you brought this back to we are under authority because there is a misperception of our founding that it was the Great Rebellion. Yeah. And and that couldn't be further from the truth because, as you rightly acknowledge, our founders 
acknowledged and recognized the ultimate source of authority that they were under is the supreme judge of the universe, which is their name for God in the Declaration of Independence. They acknowledged self-evident truth that the sole purpose of government is to preserve and protect our rights. And so when governments uh, then digress from that and infringe so terribly, then we have not only a duty but an obligation to uh, disband that government and, um, you know, and, and dispel those ties that bind us. And so it was not an attitude of rebellion. It was actually an attitude of submission to divine authority. And yeah. so for people who would say, well, you know, our founders were atheists, they were deists, you know, there is so much in our rich history of all of the contemporaneous documents that absolutely prevailed. Now, can, you know, can we parse the particular theology of a of a founding father. Well, well sure, um, but I'm sure that in you know 100 years, if people go and parse what I say, they're going to find I'm not the perfect Christian. Yeah. Shocker, right? They may disagree with some of my theology or opinions on things, but what we can't ever disagree with is truth itself because it is objective. And our founders, in their humility and submission, recognized that their view of government and the best way to preserve and protect our rights may not be and won't ever be actually perfect. Mm -hmm. So that's why we have Article 5 of the Mm -hmm. U.S. Constitution, because they said, you know what, we are going to do our best. We are going to separate powers, uh, you know, horizontally on the federal level, vertically through federalism. Um, We are going to give, you know, just specific limited enumerated powers of the federal government, do all of these things that in this in this brilliant system. But they also recognized that they may not have gotten it right. Totally. And that however uh, the future shaped the concerns of the day, the principles remained immutable, that truth is self-evident, our rights are God given, but we can alter our government through Article 5, which is the way that we amend our U.S. Constitution, and we can alter those powers to better serve the end goal of our system of government. So that was an attitude of humility. I mean, this is why George Washington was like, I don't want to be the king. I, you know, yeah. He recognized the only king is Jesus Christ. And there were so many members of the clergy uh, that were part of our founding. And yeah. so to say somehow that you know, pastors today need to have this secular sacred divide and that, you know, we can't stand up in our pulpits and talk about politics. They are denying the truth that everything that we do in life, family, church, culture, civil society, politics is grounded in truth, the Christian worldview. And we would not have a country today that is the best expression of freedom and liberty in the Western world and throughout human history mm-hmm. without our founders acknowledging the authority of God. Yeah, amen. I, I want to tap, I want to piggyback on one thing, and that is in this kind of modern um, evangelical, there's kind of a divide, there's kind of tribalism taking place. There is a kind of false asceticism that believes that suffering is the greatest. Self-denial in every form is the greatest, that God has really called all Christians. Like in, in, the, in the take, turn the other cheek to, to the, every context and out of context where you say that is the only appropriate application um, in every situation. Christians have almost trained themselves, and this is not biblical thinking, 
This is actually, in many ways, worldly thinking that in more Eastern philosophy than it is uh, from, from the Christian tradition. Uh, but to think of themselves as kind of just these passive observers, that, that, that God has not called us to go into the fray, but instead we're kind of like in a holdover, like a layover flight waiting on the next plane. And so we're just waiting until Jesus comes back, and we're just going to allow certain things to happen all around us, but because we haven't been called to actually be uh, participators in what's happening in the world around us. That could not be further from the truth. It goes back mm-hmm. to that kind of sacred-secular divide. But it's also this, this thing where pain is the ultimate. Mm. Suffering is the ultimate. It's a false asceticism. You're not living a spiritual life unless you're experiencing hardship. So we need to, what we need to see in America is just to allow persecution to come. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, who are you that you're interpreting to know the will of God in this moment? How do you not know that what maybe it is is a test that the, what the Lord wants to do is like what it says in Psalm chapter 11, that he's testing the righteous in this moment that we need to stand up. The foundations are being destroyed, and God might be calling upon you to do what Martin Luther said. Here I stand. I can mm-hmm. do no other. God help me. And so I, I think I think the Standing for Freedom Center, just why, like what we exist, is we want to speak truth and courage not only to young students, but also challenge some of the... Um, the kind of, I would say, the, the perennial sort of orthodox thinking of modern evangelicalism and the modern evangelical intelligentsia that has almost been speaking um, self-doubt and sometimes cynicism in the whole American project that Christian pastors, the greatest voice you can give to your congregation is to tell them to stay out of politics, that uh, virtue is the ultimate, and so that means that there will never be a virtuous position that you can ever take when it comes to political issues. So the only thing is to do nothing. Um, that's a stoic. I'm sorry, I can't, I can't do that. And, and that's not what we've mm-hmm. been called to do. So there's a, there's a lot there, and I know I'm kind of going all around, but, mm-hmm. but the issue in this, this moment is there needs to be conviction, there needs to be clarity, there needs to be courage and standing firm. And you know, our good friend uh, John MacArthur yes. it was was the man in the moment that believed in the promises of God, acted and exercised his faith to say, "Here I stand; I can do no other. I am not closing the doors of my church." And in the moment um, that John MacArthur said that and had that stand. He didn't know, like our founders, by the way, who didn't know that they would ultimately be victorious and, you know, have this. And, and of course, many of them died in the fight um, mm-hmm. and and lost, you know, other things and um, sacrificed greatly. But they did ultimately prevail. Now, they didn't know that at the time that they took the stand. Mm-hmm. Uh, Martin Luther didn't know the outcome uh, at the time that he took his stand. Um, and John MacArthur didn't know. I mean, he, yeah. he said he was very willing to go to jail doing the right thing. But so it's not taking a stand to be a martyr or for that persecution or to say, you know, oh, oh, please, I want to uh, show my faith by uh, sacrificing everything. That's not the point. The point is if you are exercising your faith sincerely, no matter what comes, whether it's prosperous times and we Mm -hmm. are thankful to God for that or it's difficult times, and we also should be thankful to God for that. When you are tested, no yeah. matter if it's great or small, 
whatever it is in your life, you have to say, I will stand on truth. Here I stand. I can do no other. Mm. And that is genuine faith. And this is why our founders specifically enumerated protections for free exercise of religion, because it's not just belief. Yeah. Because if we, if this is a mere belief, but we don't speak it, we don't stand up with courage, we don't participate in the public square, we don't actively go to church, exercise our faith, and mm-hmm. have action mm-hmm. in our belief, then we are not exercising our faith. Faith is belief in the promises of God, the truth that is essential of who the person of God is, and acting on that belief. And our founders understood how incredibly important it was. And, you know, for John MacArthur, who, you know, of course was my client, I was so, I, I think this will be um, one of the greatest uh, moments of, of my life being able to defend his stand mm-hmm. and defend the church in that moment. But for him to just say, here I stand, and he didn't do so arrogantly, not out of rebellion, not out of, you know, please, I, I want to have a jail ministry. You know, it was yeah. it was more of just, come what may, yeah. here I stand. And that should be our attitude of the answer, I think, to that question of how now shall we live? Yeah. Here I stand. I can do no other. Amen. You know, Daniel, I, I think of the story yes. of Daniel. Uh, when the, the, the men uh, came before the king and uh, basically said, we're going to, you know, this is the new law. You can't pray, right? And, mm-hmm. and so he went up to his room and he prayed publicly three times a day. There was nothing in Mosaic law, by the way, in the Torah that required that. There was nothing that required that. How many people, Jenna, are saying today, churches don't have to meet? Yeah, churches the Bible doesn't require the, that. The Bible doesn't require that. Churches don't, by the way, church means ecclesia, means basically assembly, gathering. Uh, do not churches, forsake it. So forsake it is actually in the Bible. It, it but. is actually. It's the definition of church is gathering. Yeah. And and the, But the funny thing is, is that in that particular case, Daniel could have said, well, I'm not actually obligated by law to do any of this, to practice my faith. But that's not what it is. It's The faith was not the letter of the law. It was the heart. And he was not going to disobey what he was. Co- he felt he was called to do. The point is, is that God tested him. This is that moment where he was thrown in the lion's den, right? So they set a trap for him. Um, all I'm saying is that in this particular moment, we have got to have courage. We have to stand our ground. Mm-hmm. We have to know what God has called us to do. And it is certainly not to go the way of the totalitarian, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the safety police and all of that, mm-hmm. uh, but to speak truth in this moment. Yeah, and, and I love that you brought up the example of Daniel because when he uh, did what he had done every day before, that is such a great example of saying, you know, he didn't go even more public and go to, you know, the king's door and president be like, I'm going to pray even more loudly, you know, and he didn't stand up. Um, but he also didn't back down and say, okay, I'm going to close my curtains. I'm going to do this in the privacy. I hope I don't get caught. You know, he simply said, that is completely against uh, my faith and what God has called me to do. And so he just kept doing mm-hmm. what he was, what he did every day before. So he didn't have an attitude of rebellion, but he didn't have an attitude of fear. No. And that's a, a, an eternal example. And that's something I think that John MacArthur also very wisely navigated by, you know, he didn't have these political protests. He didn't, mm-hmm. you know, go storm the gates of, you know, Gavin Newsom's house or whatever. He just simply kept having church as yeah. he always did. And that should be our attitude as well is to simply continue on with the things that we are called to 
Um, if we are, as, as you said at the very beginning of this, Ryan, we are all called to full-time ministry because yeah. we are all Christians, and therefore everything that we do is in an attitude of looking at life through an eternal lens. Mm-hmm. And we are all here for a divine purpose, which is first and foremost to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior mm-hmm. and to proclaim his gospel until Christ returns or he calls us home. Amen. That's that's a perfect one to close on. I'll just tell you, I couldn't add much more to that at all. Be faithful in this moment. Uh, anybody who's listening out there, uh, Jenna said it exactly right. The, the first, your first purpose on this earth is to is to know the Lord and to worship Him, to serve Him, to have a relation. And you can't do that without a relationship with Jesus Christ. It starts there. It starts with the gospel and the power of the gospel to transform and change hearts, it changes hearts and He changes minds. Some sometimes it looks like, wow, that just doesn't make any sense to me. I know many people that uh, were pro-abortion advocates. Jesus Christ changed their heart. He changed their mind on abortion. So it's the only way to make sense of this world mm-hmm. it is to to submit to the one who turned the world upside down. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, Ryan Helfenbein of the Standing for Freedom Center and my good friends at Liberty University, um, it's so great to have you on, and we need to have all these discussions. Now, now you all... Um, who are listening understand why, um, you know, I love and respect Ryan so much and my friends at um, everybody who's part of uh, Liberty University is so great because these are the types of conversations that we, you know, we get to have all the time. And, and I and I love that so much because it enriches um, my life. It um, challenges my faith uh, for me to be a better advocate for the Lord, to stand firm, all of those things. So I hope this has been um, encouraging for you and to kind of put in perspective to why we are politically engaged because everything matters. Um, life matters. Our relationship with Jesus Christ matters. How we answer uh, the life's most basic questions of who we are, what's our purpose. Um, A.W. Tozer wrote an incredible book that's one of my favorites called The Purpose of Man. And he talks about the essential nature of how we are here to, as you said, Ryan, uh, love and worship the Lord. So um, I will be with you uh, again every Monday through Thursday here on the Jenna Ellis Show. And uh, before I go, uh, taking taking this, um, you know, down to um, to kind of a, another a cultural perspective, um, you know, our country is in a state of emergency, and we do need to um, have not only the eternal perspective but also the practical one. And we've seen a total failure of our government, and uh, we're in the midst of a failed presidency. And now is the time for Americans to take steps to protect your family. Uh, your finances, your retirements, all of these practical things absolutely still matter. And uh, my friends at Legacy Precious Metals and their team of experts have decades of experience in helping Americans like you and me make the right decisions for ourselves and our family. And that's one of our rights. That's what we get to do. So uh, call Legacy Precious Metals today at 866-528-1903. That's 866-528-1903. Or you can visit them online at LegacyPMInvestments.com and download their free investor's guide. I'm Jenna Ellis. This has been the Jenna Ellis Show. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.